The snow is falling, the nights come early, and you're listening to Burning Rock Radio. Burning Rock Radio is the ongoing story of Ivy Romeo's search for her friend Sam. If you're new to the podcast, we suggest that you listen from the beginning. Chapter 19 The Literature of Old May 2002 I snapped a picture of Brad's weird drawing with my phone. There was no mistaking this thing. It was definitely the same monster from my dream. I cycled through my memories and all of the monster lore I had ever read or seen in movies. I knew for a fact I had never seen this creature outside of my own head. This couldn't be explained by old, shared memories between me and Brad. This was something else. I needed to show this to Sam, although I was pretty sure he would think I had lost it when I told him that I had dreamed about the same monster. Honestly, he didn't have a solid reason to believe me. I made my way back to the kitchen, still trying to process the drawing on the scrap of paper. Did you find it? Reed asked warmly. Sure did, I replied, halfway pleased about the fact that we were talking about two different things. I couldn't help it. I liked the feeling I got when I pulled one over on someone. When Reed's back was turned, I gave Sam a tiny nod, which he returned. It's funny. I wouldn't have thought I would be communicating wordlessly with some guy I had met right after Christmas. That's not a lot of time to build a secret language with someone. But there we were. To say that I felt troubled by all of this would be a vast understatement. I was dreaming impossible things, and then I was seeing those impossible things in someone else's sketch pad. I didn't know what to think of it, and everything felt tilted and off-kilter. Sam might have noticed something was off, because he almost immediately turned to read. Sorry to cut this visit short, he said, but Ivy and I both have a lot to do today. The two of them exchanged a couple parting pleasantries, but I barely heard them. My mind felt like it was in the process of blacking out. It faded in and out of conscious thought, and I steadied myself against the counter. When Sam and I left the house, we found a soft rain sprinkling on the world beyond the porch. Once I was outside, I started to feel better and started to wonder what had made me feel so terrible in the first place. I took a deep breath of the cold night air and watched the rain drip down the chain hanging from Reed's gutters. I was vaguely aware of the door shutting behind me. As soon as Reed disappeared back into the house, I felt Sam step up to the edge of the porch beside me. At the same time, I felt his eyes boring into the side of my head. I looked up and found him watching me, obviously deeply concerned. Sorry, I'm I'm fine. I said. You don't look fine. You look pale. It kind of looks like you were going to pass out, he said. Great. And here I thought I was doing such a great job of playing it cool. I didn't mind if Sam knew I was shaken. He was an actual friend, as strange as that was to admit, and I trusted him. But I didn't want Reed to see it. Maybe it was irrational. Maybe I shouldn't worry about it 
but the thought of it twisted up my insides even worse. I looked back at Reed's house. The spiderwebs were much worse now. The light flickered like it was powered by the pathetic energies of a bunch of sleepy ghosts. Let's go to the car, I said. It was cold and I felt exposed out here. And somehow, even though I knew it was irrational, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched or that someone or something was listening in. I stayed close to Sam, feeling as safe as seemed possible given the situation. We didn't walk fast. We didn't bother, I guess. We let the rain dribble down our hair and run down our backs and sink into our clothes. It was like we could both feel the weight of all of this. I opened the car door and slid into the passenger seat. Sam climbed in too, closed the door, and we both sat there silently for a few moments, watching the rain as it traced silver rivers down the windows and along the windshield. So, I said finally, I found the thing that Brad gave Reed. Oh, you mean you weren't really looking for your phone? He laughed. Sam didn't press any further than that at first. He gave me time to collect my thoughts as he turned on the car and pulled out of the driveway. Once he was down on the main road, though, he pulled off onto the side of the road again, onto the shoulder, overshadowed by trees, and parked. He slung his wrists over the steering wheel and leaned forward to look up at the dark sky. So what was on the paper? He prodded. A gust of wind disturbed one of the branches above, and a flash of diamond-like raindrops caught the moonlight and smattered on the truck hood. It was beautiful out here in the safety of the vehicle, and I wasn't sure I wanted to ruin the moment by saying what I had to say. This is going to sound... So bonkers, I said, trying to think of a way to make the story sound a little more plausible. It was a sketch of a monster, I said. Sam nodded. Kind of weird, but maybe not quite bonkers, he said. I mean, on the scale of retro slang, it sounds more kooky than anything. I smiled at that. Yeah, we could probably get away with calling it kooky if it wasn't for the one other detail. What else you got? He asked. I've been dreaming about the same monsters. He frowned. This actually seemed to get his attention. What do you mean? He asked. I saw this monster in my dreams before I saw it in the drawing. I don't know, maybe we were both copying something else. Maybe we saw it in local folklore or a movie or a book or something. Even as I said it, I knew it wasn't true. Sam leaned his head back against the headrest and seemed to take a moment to think. I watched him, trying to guess what he was thinking. Maybe I shouldn't have led with the fact that I had been having dreams related to the creature. Maybe I should have eased into that a little better. I probably should have expected that it would freak him out to hear it. Do you have it with you? He finally asked. No, I said. I thought Reed might miss it if I took it. I do have a photo, though. 
I dug into my back pocket and produced my cell phone. I handed it to him. He took it, looked at the screen, and ran a hand through his hair, sighing. It wasn't exactly the reaction I had expected. It was kind of like resignation of all things, or maybe even relief. What's wrong? I asked. This thing. He tapped his finger against the screen. I've dreamed about this thing, too. Of all the things he could have said in that moment, that wasn't what I expected. I thought maybe he would call me crazy or tell me that I was probably just dreaming about a Scooby-Doo episode I had seen. But instead, here he was telling me that he was dreaming about them, too. My turn to be monosyllabic. What? Yeah, he said. I started having really intense dreams a couple weeks ago. and These things are in them. Most of the time they're coming out of the sky, but sometimes they're coming out of the water. Or even out from under the ground. But I see these things all the time. This was all way too much of a coincidence. There was no way that me and Sam should be having separate dreams about the same monster. It was even stranger that Brad had drawn something similar for Reed. Was he dreaming about them too? Were Sam and I just forgetting something obvious, like maybe monsters were on the town sign or something? Maybe we had seen it without thinking about it. Was there something in the water? Was Burning Rock experiencing the effects of some kind of mass hallucination? None of these explanations seemed like particularly good ones. Sam handed me my phone back and looked at me hard as he did. I told you there was something off about this town, he said. For once, I didn't think he was exaggerating. Most of the really bad stuff in my life had started after I came here. And there was another element to all of this, too. Reed's ancestors seemed pretty interested in these monsters. I had to believe that those paintings were connected to the monsters that we were dreaming about. I wasn't sure that I could honestly blame the dreams on Reed's family, but I also couldn't discount the fact that the dreams had started after I came here. Yeah, I can't argue that there's something off about the town. I said. Did the founders settle on top of some kind of thin spot in the veil between worlds or something? Eh, I think you're confusing us with Sunnydale, he said. But I guess you never know. Another gust of wind sent more raindrops splattering over our windshield. Sam flicked the wipers on, but his heart didn't seem to be in it, because the next time the rain smattered the windshield, he ignored it. I was almost glad that this guy had finally broken. It didn't seem like it could hold on to its swollen belly of rain forever, and now that the clouds had opened up, the world felt fresher again. So, Sam said after a moment, what do we do with all of this? I had been asking myself that same question for the last 15 minutes, but somehow, hearing it come out of someone else's mouth, I immediately had a very sarcastic answer. Well, I said, I guess we can wait and see what happens, or we can just look around for a folklore professor or maybe some kind of mystical town elder. Eh, folklore professors are fake, Sam said. 
And the closest thing we have to a town elder is Mauve, who runs the crossword club. He paused, and then he actually seemed to think of something. Although, he said. What? I asked when he took too long to continue. We do have one person who might be able to help. Yeah, who's that? Okay, don't laugh. Why would I laugh? He's a librarian. Oh. Yeah, I do kind of want to laugh, I said. Sam started the car again, and I was glad because it was getting pretty cold and foggy inside his pickup truck. Is the library open this late? I asked. Yeah, believe it or not, Toby keeps it open than most of the restaurants around here. Gotta love that guy. They say he went to Oxford, dropped out, came home to manage our shipping container of a library. That's dedication. I made a face. Let's not let that be us, I said. Let's make a pact right now. Out of here in a year and a half. No takebacks. Done. Sam gave me a weird sideways high five. Though we stopped talking about it, the questions wouldn't leave me alone as we drove down into town. Why were we dreaming about the same monster? How was that even possible? Worse than that, why did Reed have a drawing of the monster in his drawer? Were the paintings in his hallway related? And what about the scratches on that tree? Didn't those look exactly like the sort of marks that that sea creature would make? We turned onto Amherst Street, and I spotted the ice cream shop glowing like a lighthouse at the end of the road. It felt warm and welcoming, but it didn't completely block out the thoughts of creatures and strange paintings. Sam drove to the library, which turned out to be kind of hidden by a couple of other stores. That made sense. I hadn't even realized that there was a library in town. There were lights draped around the gutters of the library. Either the library hadn't taken down their holiday lights, or they weren't holiday lights at all. It was hard to tell for sure because they were pretty basic white. It didn't really matter what kind of lights they were, though. What mattered was that they lit our way, turning the puddles gold and making everything soft and warm. I looked over at Sam. Even he looked warm and happy in this light, like the cover of some kind of Christmas book. For the briefest moment, I thought about how great it would be if we were going to pick a pumpkin to carve or a Christmas tree instead of hitting up a guy about a sea monster. Sam pushed the door open and stepped inside. The place smelled like burnt coffee and old books again. Oh, hey, a voice greeted us. It was so loud and so sudden that I just about flailed my way into the hold shelf behind me. I managed to retain my composure, though, and looked up at the counter. There was an older guy standing there. He was probably 40 or so, and I had to admit, it was kind of reassuring to see that there were actually some middle-aged people who weren't professors living in this town. I like being surrounded by my peers and all, but it was starting to feel a little Lord of the Flies around here. So, Sam said, Toby is moved beyond stereotypes to become the world's first loud librarian. Sam went up to the counter and rested his elbow on it. We've got a bit of a conundrum, Toby, Sam said. 
We're wondering if you might be able to help us out. Yeah, for sure, Toby said. What do you need? I joined Sam at the counter, just as he said, We're looking for monsters. That made me feel like a real doofus. Toby looked unimpressed, too. Like Bigfoot, he said. Cadborosaurus. Yeah, something like that, Sam said, but probably more obscure. We're wondering about something like this. He held out his hand toward me, and I understood that he wanted me to hand him my phone. I rifled through my pocket and pulled it out. I let him scroll through to find the photo, though. I was too busy taking in the library's aesthetic. I kind of wanted to live here. There were the cheesy, kid-made paper chains, of course, but... There were also displays of books that looked like they belonged in a boutique bookshop somewhere. The furniture in here wasn't that crappy golden oak with teal cushions, either. It was deep, Victorian-era mahogany, and I wanted to host a movie night here just so we could sit in that furniture. Toby took a look at the photo on my phone and handed it back to Sam. Sam, in turn, handed the phone back to me. Why do you want to know about it? Toby asked. Sam and I exchanged a look. I don't think that was what either of us had been expecting. I thought he was just going to tell us he had never seen it before and we would walk out of here and go get pizza or something. We think it might have to do with a missing persons case, I said. That sounded insane. Oh, you're talking about Brad, Toby said. Neither one of us confirmed that, but I suppose it was pretty obvious. It's not like a ton of other people had gone missing over the last few weeks. We had a friend who drew this, I said, and he's not around to ask. Toby nodded. Yeah, I've seen it before, but not in a book. I saw it when I started asking questions about a book. What do you mean? What book? I asked. We've got a kid's book written by a woman named Naomi Stryker. The book itself was sort of weird. Some kind of modern fairy tale, I guess. It had drawings in it. They were kind of strange. Most of the drawings were just of the town and the people in it, but there were these weird shadow shapes just beyond the margins of the pages. They looked like claws and maybe tentacles. Sam and I looked at each other again. It sounded like Toby was describing the paintings hanging in Reed's house. What does the book have to do with the monsters? I asked, already knowing the answer. I knew the author, Naomi. She actually lived here in town. So after I read the book, I asked her about it. He pointed to my phone, still sitting on the counter. The drawing she showed me, the concept art for the things that inspired her to write the book, looked a whole lot like that. So, the author of this weird kid's book had drawn the same thing that Brad drew, and the same thing I had seen in my dream. That actually made me feel a little bit better. Maybe these things were more widespread than I thought. Maybe there was a reasonable explanation for why I was dreaming about them. Can we see the book? I asked. Toby shook his head. No, I'm afraid I can't help you with that. Oh, I said, 
How come? That book was stolen years ago, Toby replied. I would know because it's one of only eight books that have gone missing on my watch. Can you tell us who had it last? Sam asked. Yeah, Toby said, and you might actually be in luck. Why's that? Sam asked. Because your brother was the last one to check it out. October 2007 When I first met Sam, I had no idea that he would become important. Most of the time you don't know that kind of thing. I suppose that on very rare occasions you might meet someone and know immediately. The clouds in your brain part and the sun shines through and cuts through the rain and a voice from on high whispers that this one is important. But that's gotta be rare. So rare I don't think it's ever happened to me. Sam was never a light shining through clouds. In fact, he was really more of a rain. Keeping everything bright and green and growing through what turned out to be some of the harshest years I've ever known. I had no way of knowing he would be important and, like so many of the important people in my life thus far, sometimes I'm not even exactly sure when we met. Was it that night in the kitchen? Did I see him in passing before that? It's weird that sometimes the big moments pass with so little fanfare. Thank you for listening to Burning Rock Radio. Visit us at www.burningrockradio.com and follow us on Instagram at Burning Rock Radio. As always, we appreciate your ratings and reviews. And Sam, if you're out there, we all miss you and hope to see you soon. <laughs>